The Guardian. Good afternoon and welcome to the London delegation. My entire government and the main opposition parties too are united behind this bid. It has total political support. It is the nation's bid. Your decision today is critical. It is a decision about which bid offers the vision and sporting legacy to best promote the Olympic cause. The International Olympic Committee has the honor of announcing that the Games of the 30th Olympiad in 2012 are awarded to the city of London. In 2005, when London won the right to host the Olympic Games, promises were made that would make Britain the sporting envy of the world. Six years on, how close are we to achieving the sporting promises that were made in Singapore? I'm Hugh Muir in Stratford, and in this week's Guardian Focus podcast, we'll be exploring the Olympic legacy. Coming up, we'll be speaking to those who will benefit from the elite sporting programmes and from attempts to promote sports to ordinary people. Is enough being done to create that sporting legacy? Two million people were supposed to take up sport. Was that target realistic? And will those efforts that are being made survive the cuts? Well, I'm here at the Olympic site and I think eye-watering is a pretty good way to describe it. Giant structures have sprung up. There's a saucer-shaped stadium looking magnificent in front of me. To the right, I can see the media centre. The velodrome is just behind that. Just a few months to go now, but it's looking good. But then the Olympic bid was never just about the buildings, it was about people. And here's the big question. Will a magnificent building like this Olympic Stadium inspire more people to get involved in sport? Guys, that's it. Got a pool sheet over there. Get on the boxes and start fighting, please. Just a couple of miles east of the futuristic Olympic Village, you find Newham Leisure Centre. There are people swimming, going for the burn in the gym, chasing around at badminton. But it does seem a long way away from the world of Olympic medals and podiums. That's until you pass reception, skirt by the running track and enter the adjacent sports centre. Here you find the Newham Swords, young fencers who represent the borough's best chance of finding a brand new Olympic competitor. It's a busy night for the Newham Swords, there are older members practicing in pairs, thrusting, jousting with each other, practicing drills. So I'm here with Dennis Cramwell who's been putting some of the younger fencers through their paces and Dennis, this club seems to be doing some fairly extraordinary things in yeah. quite a, a deprived area, in fact surprising that it's doing yeah. so well. Why is this club so different? Um, I mean the fact is that it's a pool of talent that hasn't been sort of um, picked up on before. I mean, Lindo's from the area. That's Linda um, Strachan. Linda and Pierre Harper. I mean, Pierre's fenced at four, uh, three Olympics. He's been uh, three times British champion. Linda Strachan has been five times British champion, also done, I think, two Olympics herself. So they've had their own individual talent, and now the, the opportunity that kids are getting now is to fence with top quality coaches like those two who've had top quality competition they bring in these kids through with the right ethos and the right uh, mindset to get them in competitions early. So what's that kind of leadership done for the club? We've had um, 
kids qualifying for Europeans and doing very well in European competitions. Um, all of our kids have competed locally and done very well, even in early competitions with that ethos in the club. And we've won team competitions, we've represented schools, national competitions, um, we've won London Borough team competitions. Individually, we've got three fences right now in the England team and they're doing very well in national competitions. So how realistic is it that members here could be featured in the Olympics? We're definitely hoping it happens. I mean, the, the quality's there, the competition results are there. So it's now just about giving the, the younger kids, actually giving the opportunity, they're very hopeful. To what extent is that effort being helped by the Olympics and by all of the funding that's become available um, around the Olympics? Yeah, well, I mean, the facilities we have now at this club are, are great. I mean, I think that's another factor of the fact that we're doing so well is because we've been given these facilities and Linda and Pierre knowing the quality of facilities you need to succeed has been able to get that funding for the club to actually achieve it. Show me what kind of kit um, a fencer would need and, and how, how expensive yeah. that is. Um, well we've got Benjamin here, he's sporting his gear, he's got his mask, uh, fencing mask and all of this stuff has got to be resistant to a higher lot of pressure. He's got his electric line mate, his jacket, his glove, and that, the protective stuff, each of that is going to be around 50 quid. The blades can be 80, 100 quid on their own. So this is Raj, just one of our um, fences looking towards, he's already in the England team. He's got a good chance if he keeps it up, keeps with the support he's getting, the support he's working, could be a good hope for getting to the Olympics. Is that really what you're aiming for, the Olympics? Would that be the ultimate for you? Definitely, because no one in Britain has won the Olympics. So that's definitely my aim and hopefully uh, could win one day. What do you think you'd have to do to win and, and do you think you can do it here at Newham Swords? Definitely Newham Swords has got all the facilities that uh, they have, all the equipment and hopefully I can double my training and one day win. Why fencing? Well I started at a really young age and it's been really interesting and I was quite good at it so I just continued and really enjoy it. Many of the members here go to one school, Lister Comprehensive School in Plasto. And they find that when they go into competitions, they're the only state school, and actually, they're one of the most successful schools at fencing in the country. That's certainly worthy of note. The fact that it's my old school, well, that's got nothing to do with it. Just a few key people have the task of putting on the greatest show on earth and of securing the Olympic legacy. Sir Robin Wales, the mayor of Newham, and a member of the Olympic Legacy Board is one of them. I've come to see him at the council's plush new offices by the Royal Docks. Hello Sir Robin, good to see you. It's always nice to see you Hugh. Uh, let's talk about the sporting legacy and tell me first, what do you see as being the sporting le legacy? Is it about elite sport or is it about ordinary people getting involved in more sport? Well as in all these things, it, it all comes together. For us from the council, the key thing is uh, getting grassroots sport. I think our job is to get people involved, young people, other people involved in mass participation. Now, from that, you can then take the better people, the better protective sports, and then go on into the elite sports. Because there's a, a feedback circuit, because if you do well at elite sport, then it feeds back into the grassroots sport. You see cycling is a good example, I think, of how that's worked. And certainly, our view of the stadium, now that us in West Ham are allowed to be the owners, we want to use a stadium for everything from elite sport to community sport, to back to elite sport, 
all together, all doing stuff together. How do you actually get people involved? Because that's the difficulty, isn't it? You can build the facilities, but yes. what are you doing to actually draw people in and make sure that they do increase their activity level, which was something that we promised we would do? Right. Well, you know, we were the first bar in England to do free swims, which massively increased participation. We have the biggest free programme of sport and activity in the summer anywhere in London. But what we'd like to do is take all the kids down and let them try all the different sports. Because that's about kids. Um, adults are quite yes. difficult to get to, aren't they? And, and I think in Newham, uh, as in yeah. many areas, the actual figures for participation of adults has gone down. Adults is difficult. But it's, it's a very specific measure that's used, which is three times a week you play half an hour of sport. Well, I play football each week, but I play it once a week. Seems to me that's pretty good. That's quite a lot. So you use the same measure each time, then, that you are able to detect a trend. But I'm, I'm not looking for people to do three times a week. I think you start to go to the, uh, the, the semi-professional the, you know, end. I don't like the measure. I think there's a better measure of, of the kind of participation that... I don't want to say ordinary people because ordinary people do all sorts of amazing things, but you sort of where you get a lot more people taking part, and that's the kind of end we want to aim for as well. Now, how do you do do that? Well, we're looking at in our leisure centres and the new contract we're about to we're going out at the moment. We'd like to give periods from the free to any local resident. So I want to find some hours when we can do it free. That, Free swims for kids made a huge impact on kids taking part in swimming. You've obviously thrown money at it, but will you be able to continue doing that with the, in, the, in the current economic climate? Two things on that. One, we do put money into it. I'm not satisfied with the results we get for the money, so we're looking at ways of being more efficient. And two, you see, I, I find it really interesting. All we're talking about in the cuts, and they are savage and unnecessary and, and so quick that it's reckless. What people are talking about that cuts is protecting statutory services. See, I think our whole philosophy here is active and connected is part of where we stand and what we believe in, in terms of bringing our community together, in terms of investing in people. So the answer is, can I promise to keep spending the money we're doing? No, of course I can't, because the way this government's going, they're going to cut and cut and cut, and they'll come back for more. But we will do the best we can to defend what we're spending on leisure and libraries and all the things that actually help to build resilience within our community and within our people. Well, there's a specific issue here, isn't there? Because we made promises and we won the Olympics on the basis of those promises. And one of those promises was that there would be a sporting legacy. Are you saying that the position that you will be put in in terms of the funding you get means that actually you won't be able to deliver that sporting legacy? Ah, well, you see, I think there's two different, that, that there's two answers to that. One is locally, we believe in it. So we will do what we can, but we're under a lot of pressure. Now, the other thing is across the country, where perhaps it's not as embedded in terms of the philosophy people have, yeah, we know that they're going to hit sports. We know there's going to be a reduction in sports. We can see it happening. We can see it happening now. So the truth is that the government is doing its best to make sure, in terms of the way it's funding, that there isn't a sporting legacy. You know exactly what you've done here in Newham in terms of the sporting legacy. But when you were in your legacy board hat, when you look across the board, you must be a bit disappointed uh, um, as to where we are with not long to go to the games themselves. I'm enormously disappointed. I think Lowcock's trying very hard. Uh, it, it has to run a good games. It has to run a games. It has to be successful. We want British medals to inspire people. But if you cut funding massively in this area, there will be less legacy across the country. So Robin, of course, has his own political axe to grind. But there is an element of rich man, poor man in sports provision in London, pre-Olympics. Newham swords are being helped to increase participation. But it's a different story here at the Haringey Police Community Boxing Club. I'm standing outside the club now, in the shadow of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. 
Spurs pay the rent here. And there's another link because of course Tottenham still has designs on the Olympic Stadium. But as for the boxing club receiving any other kind of leg up from the Olympics, forget it. Well, I'm inside the club now and I have to say the first thing that hits you when you walk through the door is, is the smell of the sweat and people uh, working hard in here. I'm here with one of the boxers, it's Kingsley, and he's the team captain. They call me Fat Boy. On my, on my actual boxing short, it says Fat Boy on it. Um, and some people call me KO King because I'm also known for um, finishing people. You knock moving, them out. Uh, yeah, very early in the round. So tell me about the club, how long have you been here, what, what's good I, about I, it? I've been in this club for nine years, right? I was a bad kid in a way, right? I, I, came in, I joined them from the youth offending team. Right, I was in and, out, in and out of jail along, you know, as I was growing up. The boxing channeled that negative energy into positive energy. You've got a kind of homely gym here, but resources are always difficult, really. I mean, what do you think about the facilities? In our gym, I could say that we're privileged because, we, you know, they try to try and get sponsorship for us. But bearing in mind of the cuts of what's going, we used to be sponsored by the, by the Met, but now that's cut. We don't have that anymore. Of course, female boxing is very popular now and it will be a big sport at the Olympics. I'm here with Tamsin, she's one of the star boxers here. I love this gym and I love, whether it needs a lick or paint or not, I love coming into this gym and you feel a real boxing atmosphere. What was supposed to have happened is that from the Olympics, lots of money should have come to clubs like this. Have you seen any sign of that happening? No, not seen any sign of it at all. It's always a struggle for clubs like this to make money. and. Um, to put on shows, when they put on shows they don't, they don't make any money from it, they just about break even I think. I'm with Jerry uh, Wilmot who is the, the founder, the secretary the, and the coach and the bottle washer yeah. here at the club. Tell me, Jerry, what's changed since the Olympics was given to London? For us, um, nothing really. You know, we don't get any special funding, we don't get any help. But you must think it's very curious because you must read those stories saying that there's all this money going towards encouraging more people to get involved in sport and you must be thinking why haven't I seen any of it? All the money that's gone into boxing, amateur boxing on the back of the Olympics, that's gone into funding the podium squad, funding Sheffield, the headquarters um, and funding development officers. Some of the things they've wasted the money on is, is unbelievable. They've given, they've gone on a boxing tutors course, a one-day boxing tutors course which gives you a qualification to teach boxing. These are people, you know, you, you, you can yourself can go and do it, if you've got, even if you've got no background in boxing. So what's gone wrong? Um, I think it's, it's gone wrong basically from the head. I mean, it's all about, because of the Olympics, it's all about raising the profile. So they're trying to say that there's more and more people coming into boxing on the back of the Olympics, etc., which is obviously where they're getting the funding because they're saying they're getting the numbers into boxing when really it's not. It's, it's just massaging figures and they're putting the money into the wrong into the wrong part of boxing I think they've just gone about it the wrong way spending the money unfortunately this is a radio okay if you had a television camera you could see why we need money describe right? it to me well as you can see like the paint's peeling off the walls that ring's been here for about 40 years you don't get rings like this anymore it's cemented into the floor you were receiving some funding from the council and from the police but what's happened with that well, mainly we were, getting, um, we were getting funding from the police and the council to mainly to run um, sessions in the half-term holidays, the school holidays, when the kids are hanging around on the streets, when crime does go up in, in such a city, the city boroughs as this, 
to get them off the streets into boxing fitness schemes. But unfortunately now there's, there'll be no funding next year, well for this year, so we won't be able to do them. What happens to the club if financially things don't improve? The club will just carry on as it is. I mean, it, the, the, um, it won't allow us to expand, it won't allow us to improve actually. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be as we are now. So the opportunity is to get more people in, to make the, the facilities better for the people that are here and for the services we provide in the school holidays, they won't be there. So the club will just be a boxing club a few nights a week in the same facilities we got now unless things change. But you obviously still feel that what you do here is important. Why is it important? Why? Well, it's for the reason that we started it, it's to get kids off the streets. If you get them away from the peer pressure they're under to be out there hanging around the streets causing problems, if you get them away from that circle, you stand a chance, you stand a chance of, of changing their life. The contrasting fortunes of sports clubs in London. And back in the studio, I'm joined by an expert panel, um, all of which is of Olympic standard. We have Owen Gibson, who's the Guardian Sports News correspondent, Jenny Price, the Chief Executive of Sports England, and down the line from Westminster, the Mayor of London's Sports Commissioner, Kate Hoey. Uh, hello to all of you, thank you for coming. Well, I've been to Newham Sword to look at the elite training there and also to Haringey, where the community boxing gym is struggling to stay afloat. Kate, let me start with you. Is it possible to work with the best athletes to ensure a, a, a good haul of gold medals in 2012 while also increasing grassroots sports participation, do you think? Well, I think the elite athletes are pretty well sorted. I think the funding that's been has gone into their programmes over the past few years has hugely increased and uh, I don't think any athlete... Uh, of Olympic uh, capacity is likely to be complaining really about the way they're being looked after. I think that's all gone extremely well. Uh, and so it should, if you're going to host Olympic Games, you want the facilities right, you want the programming right, and you want the preparation of the athletes right, because we want to win lots of medals, particularly when it's a home Olympics. But it's all the other area of legacy that, that I'm particularly interested in. And, and worried? How do you think that's going? Well, I can only speak for London and, uh, you know, we're doing our bit. I mean, no one had any given any real responsibility for doing it in London. So the mayor actually took it on. We didn't even have a sports unit uh, in, in, in City Hall. Wasn't that um, a mistake? Was that a mistake what, not to have a sports unit? Well, indeed, yeah. Well, of well, course, well. but I mean, the, 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 the previous mayor was very keen to get the Olympics and was very involved in that, and that was important. But the grassroots side of sport, there's never been any really coordination across London. So the mayor, I think, was was extremely sensible in, in getting this little unit going. It's very small and asking me to do the, the grassroots side of it, to bring together all the coordinating ways that we could bring people together in London and also to get the ring fence money because, you know, without some money, um, you can't really go to the table. So London now has, uh, with the match funding, and we have something like £30 million to spend over the three years. And of course, after we will try, and it's going to be very, very difficult, but everybody has to do their bit, and we're doing ours, to get um, genuinely an increase in participation after the Olympics and the Paralympics have, have finished, because that's, no other city's ever done that. Let me quickly bring in uh, Owen Gibson. I mean, she talked a lot about the grassroots um, element of this, and of course that was a big uh, part of London's offer. Uh, why has that not gone to plan, do you think? Well, I think Kate's right. It's never, it's never happened before at any other Olympics. And I think part of the problem was that so many things were loaded onto this Olympics in terms of legacy promises, partly to, uh, to guess the Games in the first place, that there hasn't perhaps been 
enough focus on on each of those areas in in isolation and my my fear in in grassroots sport is there are obviously you know I go around the country myself and you see these things and 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 some there are areas where fantastic things have been done Sport England has has an increase in money um, that is being spent well in some areas but my fear is that most of that money has gone through the national governing bodies of sport and some of those governing bodies simply aren't up to the task and, and Sport England's own measures show that we're not making much progress at all unfortunately on, on some of the measures that the, the previous government set itself so I mean I think part of the problem is this stuff is just hard and it takes a long time mm-hmm. and, and my fear is that as although Sport England's money has been protected that the cuts in, in, in other areas, in, in, in local authorities, in the overall funding pot for school sport, in, in, the, in facilities, in the number of sort of volunteers we'll have because people will have less time to volunteer, that, that you know, this sort of overall effect will be, will be that, you know, that, that rather than being a sort of inspirational point that will that we'll get us all off our sofas and, and, and doing more sport, the fact is we'll have, we'll have less opportunity to do more sport because there'll be fewer coaches and less facilities, and that's Gen- my fear. Jenny Price spent a lot of money um, around was it the 480 million. Really, that should have had some impact from your vantage point. Why, why do you think it, it hasn't had the impact we would have wanted? Well, I think, as both Owen and Kate have said, one of the central things is increasing participation is really difficult. And we're not just looking at the occasional project. It's pretty easy to build a facility and get a few extra people to go there. What we're measuring here is actually the number of people across the whole population of England who are playing sport more regularly. So that is a massive behavioural change, and it's a big decision for individuals to make. So the task itself is difficult. I think we're also asking governing bodies of sport, as Owen said, to do something that is really outside their natural area. I mean, they started, um, as people will probably know, in setting the rules for their sport, and they obviously have a big invested interest in elite success, and they're interested in teaching children to play their sport. Increasing mass participation was a new area for an awful lot of them, and they've had this money now for two years, and there's an increasing number who are beginning to realise that if you just do what you've always done on participation, you won't build the numbers. You need to do something different. But presumably we knew that when we bid. Um, did we overpromise in the first place? I, I think what Seb did in Singapore was absolutely right. He set the aspiration really high, and I think if he hadn't made that speech, we wouldn't be sitting here now discussing it. And I think yeah. if you'd been you know, in Australia before Sydney, and certainly if you'd been in Athens before their games, nobody would have been talking about participation. And the key thing is that we are focusing on it. There is a big investment going in, and organisations like ours and others are being measured on how we are building participation as a legacy from the game. Yeah, I, it's good that it has focused debate on the, on the issue and it's good that some funding went in. I suppose the danger is that, that funding will go out again once the games have, have passed. And, and, but the construct itself, it strikes me, has not been, has not been proved. As, as Kate said, it's not happened at any, any other games. And the simple act of holding an Olympics is obviously not going to inspire people to do more sport. What's going to inspire people to do more sport is spending money on, on ledger centres and on raising the standard of coaching and all those things. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's true. And I think the promises obviously were made uh, in, in good faith. But the problem was there wasn't really the machinery then set up to deliver all aspects of legacy. And, and legacy means something different to everybody who's involved with it. And indeed, Seb himself has said, uh, you know, he wished almost they'd never used the word legacy because it, it, it can be interpreted so differently. Everybody who, who can do something should be doing something. And I think what the Olympics has done, uh, and, you know, and I wasn't, the, you know, I was fairly wrote fairly cynically about it beforehand but I, I do think it ha- what it has done is concentrated minds it's made organizations work together a great deal more and it's actually f- meant that the money that 
is around to be spent in sport. I think we're being much more careful now about how it's spent and all those things that Jenny said about about actually governing bodies proving that what they're doing with their money is really going to make a difference, I think will change longer term. So maybe we will not see um, you know, the real effects of the Olympics and the Paralympics much further down the line. But you've got money to spend. How do you make sure that money's spent effectively, given that what you're trying to do is change behaviour? Well, first of all, we, we, we had to look very carefully and, and in conjunction with sporting and exactly where the need was in London. And there are parts of London that are very well served and there are parts that are very badly served. And the problem with the 33 London boroughs is that they all compete with each other. People don't really care about borough boundaries, move across boundaries to go to different facilities. And part of our job was really to get people into the room and bang heads together and we've done that with a number of our sports basketball athletics so on so that they can they have to have to co- cooperate about how any money they do get will really really help in the area that's needed let me bring in jenny price there because um, obviously uh, she's talking about how we get the best bang for our buck but you have to do that too i know that um, i think basketball um, are saying that they've, they've lost a the grant from you because they weren't increasing participation to the extent that you wanted. Are you getting tough now? I mean, what's going to happen? We, we are, and we always said we would get tough. And basketball are not just uh, not increasing participation, their participation's going down. And so in those circumstances, you know, if we're investing, and this is an investment, not a gift, then you have to take action if you're not getting the return on that investment. What is positive is we do have some examples of where sports are increasing participation. And you ask, Kate, you know, how do you decide? One of the main ways in which we decide whether we'll invest is, is the sport actually looking at the participant? Sports traditionally tend to look at the things that they care about, that are in front of their eyes. So it's things like coaches, facilities, their competition structures. If you go out and ask the average participant in the street what they care about, what brings them back, what makes them stay in sport, very often it's, you know, do I have decent changing rooms? Do my mates play it too? Is there somewhere to go afterwards? And sports have got to start thinking like that and begin to sell their experience to the mass market and where cycling are doing that with the help of Sky you know it is really beginning to work. Owen I want to just quickly talk to you about targets because uh, uh, we we did have two targets didn't we one million people to uh, play three sports play sport three times uh, a week or more um, and a million people to increase their physical activity by three times or more a, a week and those targets seem to be either being dropped or being downgraded were the targets important and what does the dropping or the erosion of them tell us about the, the view of government do you think well I think you know you can get to a much wider debate about targets and particularly new labour and targets but I mean for me these <laughs> targets were always the wrong ones you know kind yeah. of getting someone to play three times a week was probably always going to be somebody who was already playing twice a week Absolutely. and was going to go along once more and actually getting somebody into sport for the first time as, as Jenny yeah. said you know, someone who might have not been playing sport for 15 years back into a leisure centre is much more important. So they're wrong from that point of view. And and I think, I just think that that inevitably skewed skewed perceptions all all over the place. And 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 I also wonder, from what Jenny's saying, whether or not the the entire strategy of pouring all this money, this 480 million pounds through governing bodies, is necessarily the right one. There are some examples of very good practice. Cycling, netball are thinking very creatively about how to grow their sports. But there's lots and lots of governing bodies that that aren't. And and lots of those sports are just too small. It seems to me to be able to think in this way and to do anything. To do to do anything that will really shift the dial. But Danny Price, yeah. you can you can argue about the the, the methodology. 
energy of the target. But if you use the same target for, to make the same measurement twice, then you are able to detect a trend, aren't you? And, and if the trend is worrying, then surely you have to act. The challenge for us is to make sure there is a steady upward trend in participation. And although the actual numbers, you know, are not anything like as strong as I would like them to be, there is an upward trend. Yes. It needs to be a lot stronger, but it is going up. And, and on the point Owen makes about the governing bodies, two years in is too soon to make an absolute call. Because what we're asking them to do for a lot of them is to switch around totally what they're doing on yeah. participation. And there is evidence for me that enough of them are beginning to think differently that they could deliver. And let's face it, if they can think differently and they can deliver, they will be a fantastically powerful engine. Because, you know, the FA can go out and get a mild sponsorship for participation in football far more easily than the government is ever going to be able to. No. And they've got the machinery, the structures. If we can get it facing in the right direction, it's absolutely worth the investment. I, um, can I just say, Kate, we don't, in terms of putting money into our our projects and our, our areas, we also look at in, inactives, this, you know, people who have never done anything. We make everybody who is putting in to get some money for anything, that they are going to show and prove how they are bringing in new people, because that's really what it's about, getting getting new people in. Jenny, do you feel under pressure yourself as, as Sporting England? Because, you know, clearly the, the, the governing bodies have got to perform, but you have to make them perform, and obviously you, you, your people are looking at you too, aren't they? I think there'd be something wrong if I didn't feel under pressure. You know, what we're trying to do here is a really difficult mm. task, and uh, we're trying to do it in a relatively short period of time, and we're trying to do it in the glare of publicity, which is perfectly fine, but it's one of the things that the Olympics does exacerbate. You know, everybody's interested in the front pages as well as the back now. So, yes, I do feel under pressure, but not in a bad way. You know, I, I took the job on because we want to perform and I want to make a difference. And this is essentially, as you characterised it, Hugh, a massive behavioural change challenge. And what the Olympics does is it gives us an unrivaled opportunity to do that. But it's just that. It's an opportunity. And we now have to make sure we take the opportunity to build the infrastructure, to build that different way of thinking about participation in sport. I mean, do you, do you worry, Jenny, that, that there will be a tendency in the current economic climate for the, for the government just to see this as, well, if we can deliver the Games and, and get away with it and it's a great jamboree and brings the country together and it's a big party, then then after that there might be a tendency to, to, to move away from some of the other things that inevitably it brought focus on? Interestingly, I don't. I think the participation side of sport and the grassroots side of sport has got a very rosy future after the Games because if you're concerned about health, education standards, community cohesion, then you're looking for things that can help you deliver that and sport is one of those and we're relatively cheap and we've got some very good evidence to show we can do it. So I think the future for grassroots sport is good. Kate, do you agree with that as a Labour MP? I, I, I do actually because I think the current sports minister is is absolutely committed to everything that both Jenny and myself have been talking about and I also think the lottery changes which they made I totally supported uh, in the fact that once the Olympics are over uh, a bigger share of, of the lottery will be going back to sport having been taken away to do all sorts of other things I mean I supported the lottery originally because it was going to help those areas that weren't getting the support and of course we my government changed that so I'm quite pleased on that and I think that will set us up um, but you know everybody has a part to play to remind governments to remind locog to remind everybody of what the promises were and we can all do our bit um, but it's i think after the olympics it, it it will be up to perhaps that is where the media is going to have a hugely important role to make sure that these kinds of things are not forgotten about as Ooh. you know we'll do our bit <laughs> um, let's, let's talk about the olympic stadium because for many people that will be uh, the very symbol of the of the games part of that is supposed to be for community use how will we make sure that that happens? Well, the um, the, the OPLC that made that that is sort of looking after the the park after the games um, 
they, they assure me, us, the, the country, that, that that will be written into the contract with West Ham and Newham, that there will be a certain number of community days provided for. And I think, again, you know, that there will be a media glare on the stadium in particular because it has become such a symbol of the wider legacy debate. So I think everyone will be looking to hold West Ham uh, and they are partnered with Newham. So you'd hope that they would obviously want as many community days as possible. So I think we will look to hold them to that. I think the broader question is around whether or not that, that model can, can pay for itself. And we won't know that until probably five years after the Games, but can can it work with a track in? Can athletics events that are probably only going to get five, six, seven thousand people, you know, really feel atmospheric in a stadium yeah, for sixty thousand. Yeah. And 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 if that model works, it'll be fantastic. And it will be the best use of that stadium because it will it will involve all the constituencies that that we hoped it would. But but my fear is still that, you know, that, that five years in West Ham might be saying, Oh I'm sorry guys, we tried, we've got to take the track out and it's got to become a traditional football stadium. Jenny, what kind of pressure, if any, can you put on West Ham and Newham to make sure that the community get the benefit of that stadium? Well we're not directly involved in the stadium, but we did invest lottery funds into the aquatic centre and into Broxbourne where the white water canoeing is and into the velodrome and we've written into the contracts for each of those that they must be run with some community use available for a period of 21 years after the games so we have actually got a legal right to make sure that there is community use. Broxbourne and the velodrome are two very good examples actually of where there, it has been thought about and, and partly because of the structure with, with Lee Valley Regional Park Authority they've, they've built that legacy purpose in whereas that hasn't necessarily yet happened for the aquatic centre so I mean again I think that's quite a good there are people specifically on the OPLC board who, who are there to represent the interests of the grassroots and, and the community. And of course, Newham has been so deeply involved in the whole Olympic uh, planning and involvement in it that, that I, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I mean, I don't, it would have been totally wrong to have not given athletics that legacy that was promised twice before and reneged on. Well, we shall see. Um, just under 15 months to go to the Games themselves and no doubt we'll be talking about the legacy for some time after that. But that's all we have time for on this Focus podcast. So thanks to my guests, Jenny Price, Kate Hoey and Owen Gibson. I'm Hugh Muir and the producer was Peter Sale. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.